Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. I'm the founder of LeadX, and welcome to another LeadX webinar, which is also going to become a special edition of the LeadX Leadership Show podcast. Now, I'm extra excited because two of my favorite people are on the program today, Karen Hurt and David Dye. They're the principals of the company called Let's Grow Leaders. They're two of the smartest people I know when it comes to management development and leadership excellence, and they've got a new book coming out. In fact, I've heard about this about a year ago. I've been dying for this moment. The new book is called Courageous Cultures, and in the book, they explain how leaders can overcome that too common culture of safe silence and replace it with a culture of psychological safety where individuals can come together as teams, drive innovation, drive performance, and of course, drive engagement. So without further ado, let's hear from David Dye and Karen Hurt about how to create courageous cultures. Thank you so much, Kevin. We are so appreciative of all your kind support and your wonderful partnership over the years. And to the rest of you, we are so glad you're here because we keep hearing your stories. We know that you are doing the very best you can with what you have from where you are. We've been hearing the stories of these incredible pivots and this incredible hard work and all of the micro innovation. So we wanted to share with you today about the research and the work that we've been doing over the last couple of years that we know is very relevant and could help you during this really challenging time. You see, we got really curious about this topic of courageous cultures. How do you build teams of micro innovators, problem solvers, and customer advocates? Because we were working at the senior levels of organizations and we were hearing things like this. Why am I the only one that sees these issues? What's wrong with my managers? Why can't they see this stuff and fix it? We've got so many ways for people to submit their ideas. Why don't more people use them? My direct reports are always out talking to employees, but all we get is a bunch of fluff. But you know what's really interesting? When we would go in to do training work at the front lines of those very same organizations, this is what we would hear. The only way to get the customer what they need is to use this workaround. I have been doing it for years, which is why my customers love me so much. It's not standard procedure though, so I just keep my head down and hope my boss doesn't notice. They say they want our ideas, but nothing ever changes. I've stopped bothering. Whenever a big wig comes down from HQ to do a focus group, my boss warns us to only talk about the good stuff so it doesn't look like we're complaining. Employees have ideas. Leaders want to hear them, and yet somehow there is a disconnect. So what if instead you could have a courageous culture where people speak up, they share ideas, the default is to contribute. 
So today we're going to start with grounding you in a little bit of the research that undergrounds our work. And then from there are going to give you a series of very practical tools to help you tap into the very best ideas and micro innovations that are happening on your team right now. So to answer these questions about why speaking up with problem solutions, with micro innovations and advocating for customers is difficult, we partnered with the University of Northern Colorado on a research project, both quantitative and qualitative, to figure out what keeps people from being able to speak up and what are some of the best companies doing to overcome those barriers. The first reason we discovered through that research is that no one's asking. In fact, 49% of our research respondents said they are not consistently asked for ideas by their leaders. And then many people feel like nothing's going to happen. A full 50% of respondents said that if they were to share an idea, it wouldn't be taken seriously by their leadership. So why bother? And then you ever feel stuck? Well, quite a few respondents feel the same way. Just over two thirds, 67% said that their leadership operates under the principle, you know, because we've always done it this way. And if we've always done it this way, that's the way we're always going to do it. And then there's the reluctance that comes from fear or a lack of confidence. 40% of our research respondents said that they lack the confidence to share an idea. So this concept of FOSU or fear of speaking up was very interesting as we conducted interview after interview across a variety of industries and co countries all over the world. Why are people so afraid to speak up? And first we said, if you did speak up, what are the ideas that you're holding back? And these things are not trivial. It's not like kombucha in a break room kind of ideas. They said, my idea that I'm not sharing would be to improve the customer experience, the employee experience, or improvement of a process. People are scared primarily because they have had a bad experience in the past. So research shows that people tend to hold on to a negative experience longer than a positive experience, which means that even if you are a fantastic leader, encouraging people to speak up, supporting them, if they had a bad experience in the past, they may still be holding on to that and are not sharing their best ideas because of old fear. So in addition to that psychological aspect of overweighting the past, people also tend to discount the future. In Dr. Amy Edmondson's research, she talks a lot about how when it comes to psychological safety, people don't recognize just how valuable the contribution they could make will be. So as a leader, you want to be aware that these things are happening in your team. Another reason people lack the confidence to share is that they haven't been taught how to share their ideas well. And so we will also be giving you a tool today to help you give to your team to help them vet and think through their ideas. So we'll just take you through a little bit about the Courageous Cultures process. And then we are going to go a little bit deeper into a couple of these areas today. When you're building a courageous culture, it really starts with navigating the narrative. That is grounding yourself in your own fear or confidence. So are you letting a bad past experience hold you back? And so one, one of the things that we do in our programs is really get people to think about their most courageous act at work and build on that confidence. The next is creating clarity. And when we talk about creating clarity, we're really talking about creating clarity in two areas. 
First, being crystal clear that you really do want people's ideas and reinforcing that again and again. And second, clarity around what a good idea would accomplish. And we'll talk about how you can get more specific than just, hey, does anybody have any good ideas? Next is cultivating curiosity. And this is where we'll spend most of our time today. How do you go out and deliberately stay curious and draw out people's best thinking? And then once you're hearing those ideas, how do you respond? We call this respond with regard. It's the way that you maintain the energy and the momentum of all the contributions your team is making. Now, today we're not gonna talk as much about these next steps, practice the principle is the idea of finding the, the core of an idea. Well, a mistake many leaders make is that they will see something good happening on a team and they say, oh, we need everybody to do that. Well, that activity may not work in a variety of different contexts, but the idea, the principle underneath it will. So how do you find that principle and scale that? And then galvanize the genius. This is where you take all of the great thinking, all of the ideas that you've generated and reintroduce them and work them into the fabric of your team and organization with stickiness so that everybody's following through, everybody's clear on what's happening. And finally, building an infrastructure for courage. This is where you align the systems, the processes to help create, reinforce and support your courageous culture. It begins with navigating the narrative. When you think about navigating the narrative, that's all about getting grounded in your own story. Because the paradox of a courageous culture is that it actually takes less daily courage to show up, to share your ideas. Now, why is this? Well, when you're talking about culture, our favorite definition of culture comes from Seth Godin. He says, culture is simply people like us do things like this. So in a courageous culture, people like us speak up. We solve problems. We're we're raising issues on behalf of the customer. And if everyone's doing that, it's easier to be a part of that momentum. Takes less courage to show up that way. But if it's not happening, people need to be able to see you doing it. We'll wanna pause here for one moment and ask you to reflect on what is your most courageous act you ever did at work? What does that say about your values? What were the values that caused you to have that courage? And how can you tap into that experience as you're dealing with the situations that you're facing right now? Where could you use a little more courage? When we do workshops, we have people map their careers and think about the courage and the courageous moments throughout time and what it said about their values and how they can use that. So we encourage you to think about that too. When you think about your most courageous acts at work, what does that say about your values and how can you tap into that now to have the courage that you need to face these challenging times? Because your, your team needs to see you speaking up. If you're going to ask them to speak up, they've got to have confidence that not only do you have their back, but you're setting the example, you're leading the way. And if you'll start it, they'll follow. And we know you can do it because you just thought about the time you have before. 
we were working with a senior team and it was the presidents of five different brands for one company and the people who were in succession to take those next positions. So 20 pretty senior folks in the organization. And they were working on some strategic planning efforts and were having conversation about an area they were really wanting to drive the business forward. And I just had a feeling that something was not going exactly right in the conversation. So I went to my purse and I pulled out some index cards and I gave everybody an index card. And I said, on the front, please write an H. And on the back, please write an F. Now on the front where the H is, please write your biggest hopes for this project that we're working about. And then on the back, write your biggest fears. And then I collected them anonymously and I read them. Now the hopes, there were no surprises. All of their hopes for the project were all the things we had on the easel sheets all over the room. That's what this project was all about. But what was fascinating was the fears. I don't trust that my peers in this room will execute on what they say they're going to do. I don't think that people are going to do what they say. I'm worried that I'm the only one who is going to follow through. Again and again, the fears were consistent. It was so critical that we could get that information in the room. Once we had that conversation, then they could move forward more quickly. So if you get a sense that people are not talking about what they need to be talking about, finding an anonymous way, and we've been doing these fear forages virtually over the last couple of months with leadership teams. So there's lots of different ways through technology that you can also anonymously collect the fears and then bring them back as themes for people to talk about. It's amazing how quickly that gets to the conversation that needs to happen. Now it's time to move into the Courageous Cultures model. In our research around building a courageous culture, we found that there are two aspects that work together in an elegant dance, clarity and curiosity. The way these work is that one takes center stage, has the focus, and then yields to the other one. Let's start by creating clarity. Where is it that you really need a great idea? Is it right now in this time of pandemic disruption? Do you need a great idea about how to connect and add value to your customers when you can't deliver that value the way you traditionally have. Maybe the big idea where, where you could use a really great idea is how to engage your employees when they're pre predominantly working remotely. So we wanna pause and ask you here, right now, where do you most need a great idea? Okay, so now we're going to turn to cultivating curiosity. And it can start with something as simple as asking courageous questions. Now, a courageous question differs from a regular question in two ways. One, it is specific, has the clarity of what you're looking for. And two, it is vulnerable. So let, let's give you a few examples of courageous questions. So what is our customer's Number one, frustration. It's specific. I'm just asking for one and it's vulnerable. I'm assuming our customers are frustrated by something. Okay, this one comes from Don Yeager, the COO at Mural. Uh, he says, he asks his employees, what's one policy we have that sucks? He says, that's the way he gets his frontline employees working with customers to tell him what is ticking off the customers so that they can know and work to improve that. 
or what's not working that could sabotage our project's success if we don't fix it. So you're giving people an opportunity, make it feel safe to raise their hand. Even if you are moving full steam ahead on a project, if you can pull back now and say, what could sabotage our success? All right, so let's give you a chance to think about a courageous question that you might ask your team. Here's another one of our favorite techniques, and this one is particularly close to my heart because my sister told it to me. Uh, we were going on a walk and she said, Karen, I think I do what you're talking about. This is what we do at work. And so my sister is a director of rehab at Wellspan Hospital. And she said that when they have a strategic decision that they need to make, they designate one person in the meeting to act on behalf of the patient. So for example, if you're the director of IT, for that particular meeting, if you're the patient that day, you're not allowed to talk IT. You're only talking about the patient's perspective. So she said, for example, we were implementing a new scheduling system. The idea behind the system was that if a member of her rehab team were to go in to work with a patient, they would know that the patient was there and not perhaps out at testing, which was some of the challenges that they had been having before this. Well, she said, the patient raises his hand in the meeting. I want to know my schedule and she said, oh, they went, oh, that is going to be tricky because, you know, this is a hospital. You might not be able to get it 100% right. So he listened to all that, raised his hand again. I hear you. I get that this is a hospital. I get that there are emergencies. Something might come up. But what if it's 80% right? He said, I already feel so out of control. I have cancer Right now I have zero visibility. What if I have visibility? So she said they talked about it and they decided to have transparent scheduling. And she said, it's not perfect, but it has definitely improved the patient satisfaction and the patient experience. Okay, here's another one. Uh, we were working with a, a CEO at an energy company named Steve. And Steve had this really strategic initiative that was going to really help to shift the direction of their organization. He was doing all the clarity things great. He was connecting what to why. He was communicating everything five times, five different ways. He was doing what we call a check for understanding to make sure people were picking up what he was putting down. People knew that this was important. He was perfectly clear and they knew what they needed to do to execute. The challenge was this new program was not moving as quickly and getting the traction in the marketplace that he wanted as fast as he wanted it. So I said to him, what if for one week you just showed up curious? And so he said, all right, I think I can do that. So he said he was walking through his contact center and he heard one of his very best reps on the phone. And she was struggling with this customer to answer questions. And he was about to react and he thought, you know what? I am supposed to be showing up curious. Now, you've got to be very careful with an approach like this. You're the CEO, but this is what he did, and it worked. He said to the rep, hey, you know what? I'm supposed to be showing up curious this week. Would you mind if I talked to her? He got on the phone. He introduced himself, 
And he started listening. And he said, what surprised me was that the customer was asking questions that I didn't fully know the answers to. We hadn't thought through all those things. So that is what we now are calling a curiosity tour. The next set of tools that we want to share with you to help you cultivate curiosity is something we call Own the Ugly. This is a way to have strategic conversations. Ugly is an acronym. The U stands for what are we underestimating? So you might say with regard to people working remotely or regard, with regard to the value that we're able to deliver to our customer right now, what are we underestimating? G is what's gotta go. And we were having this conversation just the other day with people working remotely and the leaders were saying, what's gotta go in order for you to be able to be productive? L, where are we losing? What's our competition doing? What can we learn from them? Uh, what's slipping in our own productivity or standards that we need to be aware of and pay attention to. And then why? Where are we missing the yes? These are the opportunities that are hiding in plain sight right in front of us. Technology gives us all kinds of opportunities to do that. Now you're looking at a Honeycrisp apple, king of all apples as far as I'm concerned. Now Karen can take it or leave it, she's apple agnostic, but if you're like me, you love Honeycrisp apples because they have an amazing flavor, an amazing crunch. Well, what you may not know about the Honeycrisp apple is that in 1977, the first Honeycrisp apple tree was hybridized and bred. They grew it and then they threw it away. They said, you know what? These trees are never gonna be able to make it through the winter. They're not hardy enough. Two years later, a guy by the name of David Bedford joined the horticultural team that had grown the first Honeycrisp apples. And he's out mucking around in the greenhouse and he found some clones of that original tree that had somehow survived and been overlooked. Well, he grew them, found how delicious and amazing those apples were, and said, wow, we're onto something here. I think this is gonna be amazing. But there are some other challenges that happen with the Honeycrisp apple. If you love Honeycrisps, there's a reason that they're so much more expensive than some other apples. First is that birds love them as much as humans do, and so Honeycrisps require some extra netting to keep the birds away. Uh, next is that the trees don't absorb calcium from the soil as well as they might. And so you've got to augment, you've got to add extra calcium into the dirt in order for them to get it. And then if you like Honeycrisps, you may not have known this, but you love the diva of apples. Because a normal apple, what you do is you pick it and you put it into the container and you can ship it immediately to the grocery stores. Not so with the Honeycrisp. With the Honeycrisp, you have to pick that apple and then let it rest for a week and a half or two weeks. And then it can go in the container and get shipped to market. Now, all of those factors contribute to making the Honeycrisp way more expensive. And if you shop for them, you know that they can run two to three times as, as high a price as a normal ordinary apple. But Bedford and his team asked, what if? What if people would pay it? And the rest is history because it revolutionized the apple market. The leading apple, favorite apple for many of us, apple consumers and people pay a premium for them. Now the thing is, the Honeycrisp is still an apple. And that's what we refer to as a micro-innovation. It wasn't a blue ocean strategy, it wasn't a whole entirely different market segment. It's still an apple, but it's a better apple. And so the question for you, as you're thinking about the work you do and the team that you lead, where are the Honeycrisp ideas in your team. 
This is a tool that you can give to your team to help them think through their ideas. Okay, I, what makes this idea interesting? This means what makes this idea aligned with where we said we need some great ideas or aligned with our most important things, strategic priorities? D, is it doable? Meaning, given everything that's going on right now, and this is particularly important with all that's going on because people are really needing to prioritize, is this something we could pull off right now? Next, is it engaging? Meaning, would anybody else think this is a great idea? Who are the key stakeholders? Who do we need to get involved? Who do we need to bring on board? And then A, actions. What are a couple of key next steps that you would recommend that we do? So that's the idea model. All right, so as we're building courageous cultures, we've navigated the narrative. We've gotten clear, created clarity, where that you want ideas and, and what is the idea that you need? And we have cultivated curiosity and started receiving ideas. Next, it's time to respond with regard. We were working with a large financial organization who was doing a great job at the first several steps. They were cultivating curiosity. They had a really robust system for soliciting and getting employee ideas and uh, suggestions. And, uh, and it got hundreds every month of good ideas. But we were talking with one of their executives and he shared an interesting fact with us. He said, you know, about half of the suggestions that come through the system are things that are already happening. And we said, well, that's really interesting. So your employee satisfaction scores must be really good. People must really feel heard. And he said, well, you know, internally, it's not the case. They're not as high as we'd like them. And as we investigated why that was, what's happening there, we asked him, how are you circling back around and letting people know that their idea that they contributed that was good, it's so good you're already using it? And he said, well, we're really not. We're not doing that. We could do a much better job. And so if you go back to the research, think about what's happening to those employees who are making those suggestions. Hey, I put it into the system. I, I shared my idea. I took the time to flush it out and think it through. And what did I hear? Nothing. So leadership doesn't take my idea seriously. They're stuck in their ways. They don't really want to hear what I've got to say. And you've just reinforced all those negative messages, the overweighting of the past, the discounting of the future, all of the reasons that contribute to FOSU. But none of it's true. You are appreciating it, you are using it. So responding with regard is a way to address all of those types of situations. How do you maintain that energy and momentum? Well, it starts with these three steps. You respond with regard, with gratitude, by adding some information, then an invitation. Well, let's take some specific types of ideas and walk through the steps. Let's say that you're the financial institution who's getting an idea that's already been implemented. Well. Start with gratitude. Thank you so much for thinking about this, this with us. We really appreciate the fact that you took time and, and energy to think about how we could be better. It makes a difference for all of us. So here's the thing. Your idea was so good, we're already doing it. And here's where you can learn more about how that's happening and get more information. And then invitation. Invite them to continue thinking and contributing. Hey, listen, this is our strategic priority. We are trying to get this done, whatever you were clear about earlier. Uh, we'd love to get any thoughts you have, solutions, ideas you have about how we might accomplish that. Now, what if it's an idea that is incomplete? It's half-baked. It's not thought through all the way, perhaps. Again, gratitude, information, invitation. Gratitude, hey, thank you for thinking about how we can be better. 
taking the time to talk with me. Information. So listen, last year we tried a similar process and here's what we learned from that. Uh, we ran into this resource constraint and we also found that uh, our colleagues in this department have a priority objective that they have to meet and we weren't sure how to accommodate both of those. Now, your idea, if, if we can make it work, has a lot of merit. Invitation. Would love to get your thoughts. If you see any way past this resource constraint and a way to achieve what you just said and help the department, uh, our colleagues department, achieve their goal, I would love to hear those ideas. Now, if the idea is one that's ready to be trialed and tested, same thing applies. Gratitude, thank you so much, this is fantastic. Information, it's ready to go. I think we can take this one to, to trial it, give it a shot. And here's how that's gonna happen. And then if they're able to be a part of it, here's where you can get more information about participating or here's how the implementation's going to go. And then invitation. We need more ideas just like this one with regard to whatever it might be. Love to hear your thoughts. But realistically, there are also going to be ideas that are not going to move forward. They're just not going to happen for whatever reason. Same process. You get more of what you encourage and celebrate. So if you want people contributing ideas, even if you can't use the idea, encourage the fact that they shared to begin with. So listen, thank you so much for taking the time for thinking about how we can be better. Information. Our strategic priority right now is to go here. Maybe you're focused on your customer experience and their idea is something that would have improved productivity in a particular process, but it's gonna take some time and energy away from the work on customer experience. It's not that the idea is bad, it's just not aligned with where we're going right now. Invitation. Listen, I would love to get your thinking on how we can work on these customer experience goals. Any ideas you have that would help us to do that, please let me know. So that's how you respond with regard with gratitude, information, and then extend that invitation. So now we're going to bring this all together with a case study back from when I was at Verizon. So just a little bit of the backstory. So I spent my first decade at Verizon in human resources, leadership development, training and development, those kinds of positions. Then I moved into leading call centers and had a primarily female organization. Then I get promoted to go and lead a 2,200 person sales team. But here's the thing. I had never been in the back of a Verizon store. I had never sold anything in my life. 13 out of 14 of my district managers were men. And 14 out of 14 had been in retail sales for the majority of their career. So you know, they're looking at me and not feeling like, ah, how are we going to deal with this? But the thing is, that wasn't actually the most tricky situation. The trickiest part of the situation was this was when AT&T first got exclusive rights to sell the iPhone. Do you remember that? So can you imagine what was happening in our stores? Our customers were coming into our stores for one reason, to figure out when their contract was up so they could port their phone to AT&T. My sales team was completely demoralized. They're saying things like, lady, why don't you just go back to HR and you know, see if you can get them to lower our quotas. We have nothing to sell. When salespeople think they can't sell, they can't sell. So I was clear about two things. One, 
we needed to figure out how we were going to make revenue. We needed people to be able to sell and make their quotas. And I was also clear that we needed to improve the morale and give people the confidence that this would work. So we had clarity. The next step is to move into curiosity because I didn't know what to do next. So I thought, okay, with, with this big of a team, somebody's gotta be selling something. So I asked for the list of our top 20 salespeople and I started following them around. And that's when I ran into Yomi. And I noticed that Yomi was consistently asking everyone one question, where do you work? And I said, Yomi, why do you do that? Is that just to build rapport or something? And he said, oh no, absolutely not. You see, I ask where they work and four out of 10 times, it turns out that they or someone in their family owns a small business. I find out that they have a small business and I then sell them our great new small business plans. I am bringing lines over five, 10, 20 at a time, I'm making bank. Ooh, this is good. So I go back to my district managers and I said, y'all, we figured it out. We just have to sell to the small business market. And they said, Karen, Yomi is Yomi. He could sell ice to Eskimos. This will never work. Only 2% of our sales are from the small business space. So I said, hmm. Okay, it might not work. Now I'm back to clarity. Next Tuesday, we're going to try it. We're going to make it feel like a holiday. We are going to dress in costumes and we're gonna come in the back of the store, uh, get everybody riled up. We're gonna do special training, reminding everybody to ask everybody where they work. And if it turns out that they ask the question and it leads to a sale, we're going to take a picture of the, the rep with the customer or with all the phones lined up and the story. And we're going to send that to the small business madness mailbox, which was just my executive assistant's email. And she is going to create newsletters and, with a picture, this is pre-Instagram, with the picture and the story every couple of hours showing why this works. And on that day, our sales quadrupled. Not our small business sales, our total sales quadrupled on that day. So I said, okay, got everybody back together on a conference call and said, okay, if it could work on a random Tuesday, then it could work any day. Clarity, selling to small business is going to be our new strategic priority. And so from there, we were able to do the bigger plans, as you can imagine, and made sure we had training and we had champions and we had all kinds of things that we did with compensation to get people focused. And what was started to happen is the sales team was getting back their mojo. Now we're hovering at about 8% a small business and we're starting to stagnate. And so this is where now it's time to practice the principle and get curious again. So we had each one of the district managers and their small business champions, everyone got one, uh, to come up with a creative priority. We did things differently depending on where you were geographically. So in DC, the district manager team said, you know what, what are the kinds of customers that work in DC? Well, as you can imagine, it's 
consultants, it's lawyers, it's people who, you know, get dressed up to come to work. Those folks did not feel particularly great about necessarily going into a store to do their business transactions. They were they wanted more of a B2B feel. So what we did in DC was what they called Take Back DC and gave people a stipend to be able to wear upgrade their wardrobe so they would look more professional dealing with small business customers. So the principle there is connect with their customer, meet them where they are. Okay. So now we had a team in Cedar Bluff, Virginia, very rural part of Virginia. Now, as you can imagine, the folks in in rural Virginia are not necessarily wearing suits to work every day. So a take back DC approach wouldn't work, but what would? So we had, this was our only store that was in a a log cabin. It was, uh, we had acquired it in a merger. And so they converted part of this log cabin to be a small business headquarters. And so these contractors and these farmers could come in and have a very professional consultation about their plans and what would work best for them. They could try out the new smartphones and all those things. They loved it. That store became one of our best selling small business stores. Okay, so now Virginia Beach, Virginia. Now, remember, one of our main tactics was ask every customer where they work. Works great in Virginia Beach in July. But what happens in February? There's nobody to ask where they work. Nobody's foot, the foot, the stores are empty. So they said, well, what if we created a call center, which was really just to salespeople in the back of the store using their personal phones and calling out to local businesses, inviting them to come into the store and have a free consultation. And that, again, meeting the customer where they were, those stores, those small businesses didn't have a lot going on. It was a perfect time for them to think about their business and to think about their, how they could save some money on their plans. So that is an example of practicing the principle and the elegant dance between clarity and curiosity. So when I was promoted out of that job, 20% of our sales were from the small business space and the team won the President's Award for Customer Growth. So that gives you a sense of how courageous cultures work in actuality, taking a sales team that was demoralized, impossible odds, turning it, finding a way forward, and not just any way forward, but an award-winning way forward. So these are the steps. You learned how to navigate the narrative, how to create clarity about that you want ideas and what kind of ideas you need, cultivating curiosity, a number of different tools to help you surface your team's ideas, responding with regard to those ideas so that you can maintain that momentum and the energy associated with it and get that consistent contribution flowing in your team. So you can get more information about Courageous Cultures, the book and the pre-order bonuses and everything associated with it at CourageousCulturesBook.com. Whenever we do a in-person Courageous Cultures program, one of the things that we do is we collect people's moments of courage on cards. And one of our favorite things to do is when we get back home is to sit down and just really take some time and read through them. And it's a powerful, exciting experience to hear all the positive things. And every time there are one or two that absolutely break our hearts. And we think, 
why would you have to deal with something this difficult? I had to step in and lock the doctor out of the room because I was worried that he was going to perform a procedure that could potentially harm the child and knew he had not asked the parent's consent. If you are dealing in a culture like that and you are feeling frustrated, here's what we would leave you with. Find the others. In our book, we share example after example of people who have stepped up and said, yes, on my team, we will lead with courage. On my team, we will tap into the best ideas of all the people. And then made sure that they were leading that way and then looked around and figured out who else they could take on that journey with them. And so that's what we leave you with. Be the courageous leader that you want your boss to be. Kevin, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with your tribe. It was just an absolute pleasure. Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because you know I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you want to become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at leadx.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X dot O-R-G, and we'll talk about getting you set up with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away. Part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you going to lead today? <laughs>